have been going verse by verse to this amazing letter of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to do another pop quiz tonight. So Colossians chapter 2. I, I was walking around today or yesterday doing some things and I thought, you know, if the truth that the key to learning is repetition, then I just need to keep asking some of these questions so that you can get it into your mind. And uh, I think sometimes as Christians, that's where we uh, lose our mind is we give it to everything else, but we don't meditate on the word of God as the Bible tells us to. So let's see who could tell me something interesting or something that you've learned about the book of Colossae in the last several weeks. Does anybody need an outline real quick? Don't have an outline. Raise your hand, brother Reynolds, uh, my wife, Amanda. Oh yeah, there's several, buddy. Thank you. Good job. <clears throat> Someone tell me something significant that you've learned or that you remember about the book of Colossians. Very good. All right. So that's true. He never met the people. He found out uh, a bonus question for 20 points. Does anybody remember the name of the man that led the people to Christ and started the church? Epaphras. Very good. 20 points to, to Naomi. She's winning. Reynolds in a close second with 10. All right. Something else about Colossae. <clears throat> okay. It was a crossroads. Okay. Very good. Kind of a metropolitan area. So what else? Was it big or smaller? Smaller. smaller. Okay, so we know that Laodicea and some of the other places around there were larger. This was a smaller congregation in a smaller locale. All right. Anything else? You remember significant about it? At all? Exactly. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, if you have your outline, you'll notice that the title of this is called Avoiding Capture. And uh, so we want to read a couple of verses and uh, we want to jump right in here tonight. I want to mention a couple of things. I want you to pray for Bob uh, Williams is recovering from shoulder surgery. Sandy said that the doctor came out yesterday and said it went really, really well. And now it's just going to be a rehab, obviously, for him. So uh, pray for him. Also pray for the Gridleys. They are uh, so Melissa and Morgan landed in Texas a couple of days ago, and uh, Chris and Parker are driving there, and uh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Not the driving, just driving with Parker and Chris, and um, and they'll be there, Lord willing, probably tomorrow if they're not, if they're driving straight through, probably tomorrow. So uh, just pray for travel mercies for them. Anybody else we need to remember for prayer here, real quick, uh, that you can think of off the top of your head, or you have a prayer need? Yes. Yeah, continue to pray for Brett and Don Hawley. They had, that was it today, they had their appointment with Megan. Megan, uh, their daughter, had an appointment with the cardiologist today. So pray uh, just for her, obviously, has the same condition as Nathan. And, um, and then they're having testing, we think, and uh, also testing for Lily as well. And there's a chance that Lily may not have it. So um, just pray for them, pray for grace and for wisdom. And uh, people still want to, uh, wanting John and I were talking about he's going to make it sometime back there. Uh, to visit and just the right timing of it all. And so just remember the, the hollies, if you will, in prayer. All right, let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being so good and so gracious, so loving and so kind. God, you are so patient with us and long-suffering, and for that we are so grateful. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave yourself for us on the cross and you died to, to pay for our sin. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you for salvation, that it's by grace through faith alone. Thank you that it is that simple and yet that amazingly powerful. Lord, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And all it requires is that we would believe, confess with our mouth and believe in thine heart that God has raised you from the dead and, and trust in your name alone. And God, we're so grateful for that. Thank you for repentance. Thank you for the word of God that you've given to us. And tonight as we make it once again, the centerpiece and lift it up. <clears throat> we pray that you would honor it as you always do, that you would give us understanding, that you would speak to us personally, and that you would bless it in our heart, that we would take uh, what we hear tonight and that we would apply it to our life. I pray, God, for brother, uh, for Brent and Don Hawley. I ask that your Holy Spirit would comfort them, God, in their loss. And the Lord, in the days as they uh, look at life without their son, as they uh, look for a path, uh, Lord, in their life to come, I just pray that that path of the righteous would shine brighter and brighter as you promise. 
and that you would comfort them, give them wisdom, give them prudence. I pray that you would bless the, the appointments that they have, Lord, uh, for Megan and for their children. Also, Lord, for Don's procedure, that you would please give the doctors wisdom, and then, Lord, that you would prepare her, and uh, God, that you would be very gracious. Uh, we pray, God, for the Gridleys as their travel mercies, as they drop Morgan off at school. <clears throat> we pray that you would give them travel mercies then coming back and that you would watch over Morgan as she goes. Bless her, God, and help her to fulfill your will in her life. We pray, God, for Bob for healing. We pray that your, that your grace would comfort him, that you would minister to him. And, uh, Lord, that the therapy following would, um, would go as necessary so that his shoulder could strengthen and he could be back, uh, Lord, to serving you. We thank you for this group of people that are here tonight. Thank you for bringing the, the Lebdonskis to, to come by. and uh, We thank you for their faithful service here for years. And uh, God, we just pray that you'd bless them in their endeavor to follow you. That you would encourage them every single day that they would find grace and mercy sufficient. And uh, God, we uh, pray that you would uh, heal Steve <clears throat> and that you would strengthen him. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would watch over us tonight. We plead the blood of Christ on this property. We ask that you would just... Lord, uh, keep Satan away, that you'd rebuke him, and that we would not have any distractions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, we learned last week that Paul was addressing these Christians, at least in chapter 2, in, in military terms. And he continues the military image here with the warning, and you'll notice it in verse 8, beware. It says, beware lest any man spoil you. Uh, circle, highlight, underline the word uh, spoil. It means to carry you off as a captive. Now, this is not unusual because we know that uh, the children of Israel spoiled what, what nation when they left? Egypt. God said, you're going to spoil them. And they did. They carried away all. That basically, they were paying the Israelis to get out of their face, right? And then, of course, as they went and they conquered the lands, as they conquered the kings, you find that word spoil. What does it mean? It means to take captive. That which belongs to somebody else becomes yours. And so here, Paul is telling people, now that's the, that's the crazy and interesting thing, is that he's not saying, you know, they're not taking away your job. They're not taking away, you know, your dogs, your cats, your houses. It's you. It says, beware lest any man, notice what it says, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the attrition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The false teachers did not go out and win the lost. And you need to remember this. No more than the cultists do today. People who are part of a religion who is a cult. That is a man-made religion. And their, their, uh, their, in their uh, desire to reach God have created their stepsystem. Um, they don't go out and win the lost. What do they do? They convert believers. They don't target people because they don't have any hope. They target people who have some kind of religious background and they try to inter inter intertwine their beliefs into what they already think they may know and try to better interpret it. That's exactly what Reynolds was saying here about the church at Colossae. They kidnapped converts from churches. Most of the people I've talked to, uh, I've talked with who are members of an anti-Christian cult uh, were one time associated with a Christian church of one denomination or another. For instance, I was in Nevada years ago, uh, about 1996, 97 maybe, and out uh, door knocking, and I ran into these two two young guys, and you know they weren't dressed in any kind of uniform or anything. Just started talking to them in their driveway, and uh, I said, "Oh, what are you guys doing tonight?" Sounds like there's some people here, and they're, "Oh, we're having a Bible study." I said, "Really?" And and so for a minute, I was like, "Oh, these are Christians too." You know what? You know what kind of Christians are you? And uh, and I said, "Oh, I, I said, what church do you go to?" And they said, "Well, we're LDS." Okay. By the way, if someone says LDS as compared to Mormon, that's their level of commitment. People who are very committed to, to the Mormon religion will describe themselves as LDS and not Mormon. People who are nominal in the cult will say they're Mormon or they're not participating anymore. So they said that and immediately a red flag came off. And lo and behold, what pulled in right next to me was their leader for the night. And he goes, oh, here's the guy that's running the Bible study. Do you want to talk to him? I said, I'd love to. So not knowing what I was getting into, 
And so he pulls up and he gets out of the car and he goes, hey, how are you? And he goes, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? And, uh, did you come for the Bible study? I said, actually, no, I'm Kyle Haynes. I'm over here from Liberty Baptist Church and, and uh, just out talking to people about the gospel and, and uh, found out that you guys were LDS. You have a Bible study. I don't want to interrupt you. And he goes, well, you need to know this. He goes, I used to be a Baptist preacher. My jaw hit the pavement. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, I used to be a Baptist preacher. I said, really? What happened? Okay. Because at that point, I knew that he had been twisted. And he said, well, I just now have a better understanding of the Bible. I said, really? A better understanding of the Bible? And I said, how did that happen? He goes, well, it's a long story. If you'd like to come in, I'd like to tell you about it. I said, no, that's okay. I'm fine. And I walked away. Did you know, just a few years, not a few years ago, but several years ago, I read that the number one convert to Mormonism is Baptist. Do you know why? Because most Baptists don't know what the Bible says. That's the sad point. And that's exactly the point that Paul is making here. How is it possible for false teachers to capture people? The answer is very simple. These captives are ignorant of the truths of God's word. Now, what you need to understand is ignorance is not an insult. It's not a sin. You're just dumb to stay that way. Ignorant just means they don't know. I don't know what the Bible says. So if you're telling me that this is exactly what the Bible says, and it's because of these other things that I needed to have that apparently the Baptists don't have in order to understand the Bible, and I get to have all of this, and wait, there's more. You know, the cults are always throwing stuff. There's just, there's more to life, and you get more in this life than ever. And so this is the same thing that Paul is facing here. They be, people become fascinated by the philosophy behind a religion that's false. An empty delusion of the false teachers being used. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. They become fascinated by the philosophy and empty delusion given by the false teachers who are being used by Satan. All right. Now, this is not to say, by the way, that all that. Let me say this, that all philosophy is wrong because there is such a thing as a Christian philosophy of life. And I want to explain that. All right. What, what does the word philosophy mean? Does anybody know that? Word philosophy actually means to love wisdom. Now, from a biblical worldview, we would say, well, to love wisdom, man, that's the principal thing. Why? Because our foundation is what? The word of God. So when we say, if believers are talking, we say to love wisdom immediately. If you say that to me, Ray, I'm thinking it's the wisdom of God. There's no way around it. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. So if you say that to me, because I have a biblical worldview, philosophy is to love the wisdom of God. But someone who doesn't have a biblical worldview, to love wisdom is any wisdom that I get from man, any wisdom that helps me, any wisdom that's relevant to me and to my situation, all right? So when a person does not know the doctrines of the Christian faith, he can easily be captured by false religions why? Because it sounds good, or it sounds right to me, or it sounds right to me now, you see. And that's how they capture believers. Part of driving a car down the road includes staying between the lines, <clears throat> of course, avoiding other cars. That's always a blessing. Um, paying attention to signals and signage, but it also is avoiding road hazards, potholes, dead animals, debris from other vehicles. And as Christians living in such an alarming and alluring time in history, we need to be reminded that there is a danger in a lack of spiritual discipline, not looking and noticing or recognizing the pothole, not seeing the debris that's going to get me out of my lane. You follow me? So when we think about this in Paul's attempt to help the Colossian believers to grow and continue in their faith, he reveals another reason for his concern for their spiritual progress. We talked about that last Wednesday. And that's avoiding the capture of our enemy, that they would be taken away. Why? Because what's Paul's goal? It's not that they would just, you know, be saved. It's that they would grow, that they would make progress in their spiritual journey. So let's take our outlines tonight and notice four expressive details that God gives to us today that will help us in avoiding the same spiritual peril. Now, let me, <clears throat> maybe a little spoiler alert. I probably won't finish, and if I attempt to finish, just say time out, <laughs> okay, because there's a lot here tonight, and I don't want to unpack it slowly. I want to see just where God gives us. Hopefully, we'll get through halfway, all right? Um, if we get a little farther than that, that's okay. We'll have some leftovers next week, but it'll be worth it, all right? I promise, all right? So 
Let's look at these expressive details. Now let's just go back and think about what he says here. Reading verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you, that's personal, through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So first of all, I want you to see the exhortation to caution. The word beware, all right? Beware means to have full faculty of sight. It means God doesn't want us to walk around ignorant of Satan's plans. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Paul, when he writes to churches, when he writes to believers, is not covering up or trying to dilute the fact or even, uh, or, or even uh, you know, hide the fact that we have an enemy. And that enemy is real. And so he says, listen, it's one thing to say, I know who God is. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. But I also don't want to be ignorant of my enemy. All right. So let's just think about this two ways. Letter A, the threat is very real. The threat is real because the enemy is real. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. All right. Now, I don't think that anybody sitting in a Bible-believing church would disagree that we have an enemy. Would you agree? We have an enemy. We know that. But there are a lot of Christians who will go home after a service and not be aware of his attack. So you understand, it's one thing to sit in a church during a service and say, no, we have an enemy. He's powerful. He's subtle. He's deceitful. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has a goal in mind. And we all say, amen. That's right. We need to be vigilant. Then we leave here and we never are fully aware of things going on around us. In fact, sometimes we have blinders on to some things. And we miss the fact that the devil is on the approach. What do I mean by that? Letter B, the enemy is resourceful. I want you to look at verse 8. Beware lest, and I want you to underline these two words, any man. Any man. We tend to forget that Satan's subtle attack on the truth and our testimony can come from, ready? Anybody. From any person. Um any person around us, and we wouldn't necessarily see it coming. Why? Because we wouldn't assume that he would use my spouse. We wouldn't assume that he would use my children. We wouldn't assume that he would use, lo and behold, my pastor. We wouldn't assume that he would use my best friend. You get what I'm saying? It says any man. Um, by the way, the Bible says in Second Corinthians eleven three. I think you have in your notes, but I fear lest by, oh look, any means. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It goes on, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, and, and, and on your notes, underline these two words, his ministers. Look at we are, Paul said, the ministers of Christ. Guess what? The devil has his own that are called according to his will. So the Bible says, uh, uh, therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to the works. So God is not ignorant of the ability of Satan or of his means or of any man that he would use. But sometimes we are. And so he uses the word beware. Understand that this attack from the devil is not just real, but it could come at any moment from anybody. Now, look, what I'm not saying is you should walk around going, are you being used of Satan? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we should. He's not. Look, it's not saying you need to be paranoid, is it? Just saying God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And that requires that we use that faculty to be aware of our surroundings. Look at the quote in your notes. The world and its system is at the disposal of Satan, not by design, but by deceit, right? Look, God did not create evil. You need to understand that. Evil came by a decision. That decision from Satan to exalt himself cost him his position, was dethroned from that position, cast to the earth. And what happened? By one man, sin entered into the world. Why? Because Satan deceived him. So his, his, his principality here and the rulers of the darkness of this world are because of deceit, not by design. And yet, only a righteous God, who has all-powerful, can use all things together for good. Am I right? So Satan is the unwilling servant of God. Now remember that. Now, that being the case, not only do we see the exhortation to caution, secondly, we see the elements of capture. 
This is where it gets really interesting to me. Now, maybe you're familiar. Do you have First John in your notes? Two? Do you have that? Turn, turn, yeah. Yeah. The enemy is resourceful. Turn in your, turn in your Bible to First John chapter 2. We're just going to slow the roll here and take our time. Elements of capture. Elements. It was fun trying to alliterate this one. Elements of capture. I almost said elements. Now, maybe you're familiar with First John chapter 2. Everybody there? Okay. First John 2, look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Look up here. How many times have you said the word world already? Four times. Okay. For all that is in the world. How much is in the world? Some? All. Okay. For all that is in the world. Now he's going to describe the elements of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that is in the world. If you take out those three parenthetical statements, all that is in the world is not of the Father. Okay? But is of the world. And then he tells you what's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. What I see, I desire, what I want to please my flesh, and what makes me better or I think makes me better than I am currently. Anything that builds me up is all of the world. Someone's, oh, that's the, that's the phone outside. Someone's calling to, it's probably spam. Okay. So we're familiar with this matter of the world, right? The world, that word cosmos means the world system. It means everything that makes up the world system, everything that goes on in the world as it stands naturally, all right? God says, look, what you see going on in the world, and this is a great, a great example for us today, what you see going on in the world, which we would say, man, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, is not of the Father, okay? Um, that doesn't mean that he didn't create the world, that is this earth, but everything that you see going on that man touches it's not of the Father. All right? Now, you need to remember that. That's what he's talking about. Now, there's a specific parallel here. All that is in the world is used by the prince of the world to deceive, to lure, to take captive, and to destroy the truth of God that lives in the testimony of believers. Here, God tells us in our note, in our passage, of the rudiments of the world. Look what it says. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of the man, and here's the key statement, this is the hinge for all of it, after the rudiments of the world, circle that word rudiments, and not after Christ. The world, the word rudiments literally means elements. Wait a minute, I just think that God somehow gave us some elements. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what he's saying here, in other words, all that is in this world is striving for, all that this world has to offer, and all this world is about is described specifically in the passage that we're reading. Now watch, he gives us the elements in 1 John chapter 2, then he describes what happens to you if you lust after those elements in Colossians chapter 2, all right? Now watch this. These elements are described specifically. Notice what it says. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophy or the teaching of this world's wisdom um, and vain deceit after the tradition of men and uh, after the rudiments of this world and not after who? Christ. All right, so watch this. Let's talk about letter A, vain deceit. So what's he saying? Okay, well, First John chapter 2, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All right? Vain deceit, all that we are tempted with from the world and those elements that we talked about is hollow and deceptive. Everything the world is pitching to both believers and unbelievers is hollow. What is that? That's vain. It's empty. It, 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 it's completely worthless in a matter of life and the quality of it, all right? Especially when it, as it pertains to loving God. It's all hollow and deceptive. Notice the word. It says vain deceit. So 
the philosophy of man separated from God is hollow. We would all say, yes, that's true. And it's deceitful. Why? Because it has nothing to do with God who is truth. So uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage? Notice this. And the people imagine a vain thing. So the wisest of God's people was deceived by all the world had to offer. And he discovered the same thing. Who was the wisest? Who was the wisest of the world? Solomon. And he discovered the same thing, that life that the world had to offer, you can read it on your own, read the book of Ecclesiastes, especially the first five chapters. All you're going to find is Solomon saying, even as I retain my wisdom, I still pursued everything that my eyes saw. Anything that my eyes saw, and I said, I want to do that, I did it. If I said, hey, I want to build that, he built it. I want to plant that, I planted it. I want to have that horse, I got it. I want to have those women, I got them. I want to have that drink, I got them. You read it. It's all about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And what did he find out? That life in all of that, aside from God, with everything that I could get my hands on, is vanity of vanities and vexation of spirit. Where does that one come from? From the wisdom of God. Knowing that I know who God is, I still pursued this. Not only did it leave me empty, but it vexed my spirit. Follow? So as we read this, God says, okay, now I want to show you some things. All the world is striving for, all that it has to offer, and all the world is all about is described specifically. Vain deceit. Solomon found out that life apart from God, pursuing everything that the world had to offer, was empty, deceiving. By the way, not new. So there's nothing new under the sun. And it was contrary to the fear of God. Wasn't that interesting? Because if you look back at First John, it says, uh, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Isn't God good to give us his word? So good to give us his word to say, look, I'm not just saying this in First John for no reason. You need to know that there are some people that struggle with it, by the way, just like you do. At any given time, when we become ignorant or overlook Satan's attack, we can fall into one of those categories. And at the end of it, what do we always find out about sin? That it's hollow. And we ventured into it because it was deceitful. Paul talks about the deceitfulness of sin, right? So he talks about vain deceit, all right? Secondly, he talks about here uh, uh, through philosophy and vain deceit. Uh, letter B is the philosophy of man. That's what he's referring to here. Now, as Reynolds pointed out, the Gnostics were people who said, well, in order to know God, you have to be familiar with the, quote, emanations of God. In other words, Jesus coming to bridge the gap between man and God wasn't enough. After all, all matter is evil, according to the Gnostics, and Jesus wasn't a real man. He didn't have a real body. He was more like a spirit. And yet we know over and over again in the word of God, he talks about, no, Jesus had a real body. He said, touch my hands, thrust, thrust your hand into my side, and can I have some food to eat? And, and they watched the body of Jesus, and the angel said, this same Jesus, that same glorified body that you see him going into heaven, he saw also return in like manner. So the philosophy of man. So when he's talking about philosophy here, he's talking about the empty philosophy that only man can get. So let's love man's wisdom. Socrates, Pluto, Kierkegaard, all these people who tried to even, make, you know, they, they take the, the basis of some truth somewhere that they heard scripturally and they try to spin it a little bit and they try to make a new truth. And, and that's what man's always tried to do, right? Remember that philosophy or to love wisdom, it's not inherently wrong. It's not, not in and of itself. It's the foundation of that wisdom that makes it right or wrong. You've got to remember that. It's the foundation. If it's based on what man believes or what man's mind can conjure or what he can try to put together, then that's going to be wrong. Why? Because man's sinful. Because his heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So the best I can do without Christ is deceitful and wicked. All right? So the philosophy that can only come from a finite mind and from a sinful heart cannot be pleasing to God. For no man ever yet pleaseth the Father in the flesh. You get it? So philosophy is not necessarily not inherently wrong. It's foundation of that wisdom that makes it right or wrong. Now I'm going to give you a couple of passages. I think you have one in your notes. First Corinthians 3, do you have that one? Notice what it says, verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness 
And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are, oh look, vain. So God exposes the wisdom of man as the foolishness of God. You see that? So he's the one that makes the delineation, not us. God's word says, no, there's a wisdom that's from there, and there's a wisdom from here. Turn in your Bibles to James. I want you to see another part of this. I love connecting verses. And that's what you need to learn to do as a Christian is connect verses. That's why it's good to journal. It's good to next to a verse in your Bible, write a reference to that. If you don't have a reference system already, it may not be exhaustive enough so that you go, oh, this is that verse about wisdom. Here's this verse about wisdom. And now you have a roadmap that you go back and forth and study with, right? So James chapter three, again, God's going to draw a line here and say, it's not just one. There's two kinds of wisdom or philosophy. Look at James three, verse 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly and sensual, devilish. Hmm. By the way, who were we just talking about a minute ago that's trying to take Christians captive? Satan. Okay? So he automatically now ties this, this earthly wisdom to the devil. Verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from where? above is first pure and peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So now those two last things are tied to the other wisdom. So there is bigotry. There is partiality. There is racism in a man's philosophy. See that? Why? Because of the pride of life. Because I have to be better than anybody else. Right? Um, my son is going to a basketball camp. And uh, he's described the last few days about a young man. And uh, he made a statement today. There's a young man who, when he loses, he just makes everybody miserable. And he cries out loud. This is a 10 or 11-year-old boy. That if he loses, he just cries out loud. Right? And he's done some gestures to my son because my son you know put him out of this game or whatever and today he came home and he said you know i said how was that guy oh he cried again but then when he won he goes he was very haughty and he likes to dance and he likes to promote himself right what is that that is the pride of life and it's raw right but that's the way we all are we all want to be accepted we all want to be thought well of we all want to we want to promote ourselves we are our favorite person and we are that's just the way we are naturally and god says hey listen that's part of the devilish wisdom that's part of the philosophy as it says in verse 15 not from above so there is one from below that's here in this earth and there is a philosophy or a wisdom above the world tells us by the way how to dress the word tells us the world tells us how to talk tells us how to work the world tells us how to live, how to love, how to spend, how to sing, how to listen. The world tells us how to eat, how to marry, who to marry, how to express, how to exist. The world tells us where we came from, why we're here, and what to do to get the most in life and the, at the least amount of effort. And they're really good at it. Or really what we should say is Satan's really good at it. And by any means, he'll try to take our eyes off of the one who wants to have given us a better life, a purer life, a life that's full, not a life that's empty. The scary thing is not the amount of people who follow the philosophy of man, but how many Christians do it. That's the scary thing. The scary thing, I'm sure, for the Apostle Paul, by the way, Remember that this letter, he says at the beginning, is supposed to be read at another church. Do you remember that church? Trivia question. Who? Yes, the church of Laodicea. Now, let's think. Have we ever heard of that church before? Anywhere else in Scripture? Laodicea. Revelation. So, the church in Revelation, by the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, was hot church or cold church? lukewarm and jesus said of that church i would rather you be hot or cold 
but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I wonder if when they read this letter, they just probably had a little different reaction to it than the people of Colossae. Just a thought. We don't know because we don't have the letter. We don't have any letters written to Laodicea. All we have is this and the comment in Revelation. But we know it was in close proximity to this and that Paul, by God's design, wrote this letter and commanded them to send this letter also to them. We don't know if they gave that letter or if they copied it. They were smart, they copied it. Okay, word for word. And they sent it to Laodicea. Now, if that's the case, then isn't it interesting that those believers in Laodicea would have heard the same words and they dismissed it by not being aware. I'm, I'm, look, you, you got you to think like this when you think about Scripture. And you got to think of how, does, how do the Christian lives, how are they lived out today? I will tell you the same way they've been lived out for 2,000 years. Dedicated to Christ people get duped into believing more of the philosophy of man and the ways of the world. And they get out of the race and they become lukewarm. Any questions? It's been happening for two millennia. And God says, look, 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 be aware. Don't be taken captive, lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain descent, a vain deceit after the traditions of man, which is letter C. So he talks about this hollow deceit that's given. He talks about this matter of the philosophy of man. Letter C is the traditions of men. The word tradition means that which is handed down. Does anybody have um, like uh, uh, tradition, Thanksgiving traditions in your house or Christmas traditions? All right. Anybody have the Christmas tradition that you open your presents on Christmas Eve? Anybody? Okay. A lot of Latinos or Hispanics open their, their Christmas is Christmas Eve. Okay. Um, I was forbidden from doing that. I was like, nope, go to bed. Santa's coming. Right. So we always opened ours on Christmas morning. And the first time I heard of people opening like all of their presents Christmas Eve, I was like, oh, I think it's in the Bible. You can't do that. You got to wait till Santa comes. He can't come if you're opening your presents. Does he come like the day before? Oh, that's how he does it. He comes the day before to all the Hispanic culture, right? No. The fact of the matter is the traditions of men are very strong, aren't they? They get handed down. Um, you know, my mama gave me this recipe for this cake or for this salsa or whatever. Um, this is the way that we've always done it. All right. So the tradition of men, it simply means that which is handed down. By the way, there is such thing as a Christian tradition. And Paul speaks to that several places. Second Thessalonians 2, 15 and, and 3 and verse 6. He talks about, hey, listen, I'm, I'm proud of you as I've handed down the traditions that I've given to you by Christ and you've kept them. By the way, did you know that baptism is a tradition? It's, by the way, it's not a sacrament in case you don't know. It's a tradition. All right. Uh, did you know that the Lord's table is a tradition? All right, so yes, we understand that. No, no, that we we call them. Um, it just went right out of my brain. Ordinances, okay, ordinances. We say that they're ordinances, not sacraments. And so when we do them, we need. But but how did we get them? They were handed down. Yes, we can find them in Scripture, but they've been practiced by Christians over millennia. Right now, here's the thing: the important thing about any teaching, like wisdom, is its origin. All right now did it come from god or did it come from man did baptism come from god or man it's not a true question it came from god thank you um did lord's table come from god or man okay um what about singing hymns where god you're like oh wait i don't know that that come here's charles wesley maybe i don't remember that He's the one who wrote the hymnal, right? No, it was God. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. And now that we're all like, oh my soul, we almost ripped the roof off of this place. Okay, all right. So singing hymns is from God. Okay, well, what about playing the piano? Is that from God or man? Okay, someone's like, what does it does say stringed instruments. It doesn't say what those look like. Did they have pianos when the scripture was written? No. Did they have other stringed instruments? Yes, that is a stringed instrument. If you doubt that, just open up the inside and you'll see strings, okay? Now, you can't play it like you do Steve's guitar. I guess you could kind of do that. It's not going to sound very good because you, you have to hit it or plug it. Um, let's see. What is another tradition? Um, how, about, um, how about the pulpit? Bible trivia. Is this 
from God or man? Is it? In case you're wondering, in the book of Ezra, it says a pulpit of wood. But it does say the pulpit of wood is what he was standing on. Okay, because he was elevated. Yeah. So everybody's like, oh, so which way is he going? I don't know what it's there. Left hand, right hand, put your hands up. Okay, so the idea is from God, but that is a podium from man. Whew, already? Okay, yeah. The what? Yeah, I was going to go there. I'm glad you did first. A tie or a jacket from God or man? Man. Okay. How about women can't wear pants? Man. On all women said, man. Have you ever tried to wear a dress in the wintertime? <laughs> Miss Baker used to say, oh, it's easy for you to say you can't wear pants. You've never been an 18 below zero in a skirt. You know. So the idea is there's a lot of things that we hold dear from the traditions of man. But we have to very quickly decide, wait a minute, is this from God or man? Look at your notes in Matthew chapter 15. The religious leaders, the religious leaders in our Lord's day had their traditions, right? And they were very zealous to obey them. Look at Matthew 15 and verse 2 in your notes. Is that in there? Okay. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the whom? Ooh, bad move, Pharisees, bad. For they wash not their hands. When they eat bread, but he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your own tradition? And then he goes in. The Bible says, Jesus quoting scripture, the law says, honor thy father and thy mother. And you don't do that because the brother could say Raka and just decide I'm not going to do that at his own whim. Right? So you see this very clearly laid out in scripture. Never, ever, listen carefully. Never, ever underestimate the power of tradition. Now, there have been people in our church, people I've led to Christ, who are from a different culture altogether. And they would be, they get saved, they get baptized, they get rooted and grounded in the faith, they come to church. But their parents are of a different religion. One steeped in tradition, in Eastern culture, Hinduism. And they are fearful to put their children at the expense of their family and their parents trying to invite them to stay with them for a week and they're going to go ahead and try to indoctrinate them. Okay? Pastor, what do we do? I've had other people say, after they get saved, well, it's always been my family's tradition to have Sunday evening dinner, but I want to go to church. What should we do? See what I'm saying? Traditions are strong and depending on the culture, very, very strong, right? There are people who are Catholics who want to get saved, but won't for fear of rejection of their family. You know this to be true. We know this to be true. They won't because they don't want their nana to be upset with them or their nana to disown them or their mother or their aunt or their uncles. Why? Because the traditions of man, the Catholic Church, has dictated their lives for so long. They're clutching them. So never underestimate the power of tradition. So instead of getting frustrated, just understand it's real. It's very, very real. In fact, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Whether it's family tradition, religious tradition, culture tradition, whatever, it is very powerful and it has always been a stumbling block to the truth of God, always. But I want you to see that it can still be overcome. Galatians chapter 1, is that in your notes? Okay, look. Yeah, 114, it's in your notes. And pro- this is Paul's testimony to the church of Galatia, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation being, watch, more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Okay? So Paul's confessing here. Look, that's where I used to be. I, it says excelled. That what used to guide him was the traditions of man. Well, what happened? He met Jesus. And he got saved. And those traditions went boom. And they disappeared. And he sold out to Christ. All right? 
even in churches, if we're not careful, our man-made traditions are usually more important to us than God-given doctrines of Scripture. And that's a shame when a church would hold so tightly to that sacred cow or the herd of cows. You know what I'm talking about. And they major more on those things than the doctrines of that book. Holy Toledo. We have not done anybody any service. That wisdom is from below. Here's the crazy part. If God's people don't remember all of this, they're going to be taken captive. All of it. Whether it's vain deceit, the philosophy of man, whether it's the traditions of man, doesn't matter. If we don't remember, that is beware, take full awareness of everything going on around us at all times. God's people will be taken captive, then held by the cords of their own sin. Which is why God tells us so many times over and over to avoid it. Let's give you one last scripture and we're going to sew it up. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to get halfway done tonight. I did it, I did it, I did it. When you read, so I, I said this in discipleship Monday night. Here's a 30,000 foot view of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ and the foundation of the early church, the disciples. Okay? It accounts for his life, his death, his resurrection, including his plan or his commission for those disciples after he's gone. You familiar with that? Okay. Then, right after the Gospels, by God's wisdom and grace, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the acts or the follow-through of those disciples who spent three and a half years with Jesus. Even though they forsook him at at the cross, they humbled themselves. We learned on Sunday, they waited for the Lord. They were endued with power from on high. They preached the gospel. 3,000 people got saved. Then more thousands and more thousands. Then when they were persecuted, boom, they turned the world upside down. Everybody got the gospel. People got saved everywhere. From Romans all the way to Jude, you have letters written to believers to live like the ones in Acts. Okay? This is the simple New Testament. From Romans all the way to Jude, what you have is Peter, James, John, and Paul writing to specific believers saying, this is what you've learned, this is what you need to avoid, and this is what pleases God. Can we sum it up like that a little bit? That's kind of a broad stroke, but we could sum it up like that. This is what you need to avoid. This is who's behind that. This is how you live a pleasing life for Christ. And in almost exclusively, you can find in every letter a pattern. I want to talk to you about who I am, who you are. Here's the problem. Here's how you fix it. Okay. Romans is here's eight chapters of doctrine. Nine through 11 is parenthetical. Verses 12 through 16 is everything that I've said in the first eight chapters Here's how you apply it to life, right? And it's repetitive learning because Christians are the same worldwide. doesn't matter where they are, whether it's Macedonia or Achaia or Rome or Jerusalem or Morgan Hill. That's why we have the blessing of the Bible. So in Ephesians chapter 4, he writes the similar idea um, about, okay, here's the way the world is going and here's what you need to be aware of. Look at Ephesians 4.17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Oh look, here's that word again. In the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to unto a lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness but ye have not so learned who christ look back at colossians again verse 8 colossians 2 and verse 8 beware lest any man spoil you 
through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Okay? Remember, this world is not for Christ. Anything that you learn from this world is not going to be sending you toward Christ. And so Paul here, I'm not going to get into the rest of the outline. Paul here is saying, look, you need to be aware of this. Here's some caution in your life. The devil can do anything at any time. This, he has all the resources he needs to. All right? But you need to be aware of that. And you need to understand the end goal here. He's trying to deceive you and teach you something or anything that is contrary to Christ. Now, the Bible says, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ is everything, right? Now, that's the beginning of avoiding capture. Next week, we'll finish it up and we'll look at what it means to be complete in Christ because he goes on here and he says, for in him, that is Christ, because he just mentioned him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We're going to learn what that means. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we sure thank you for the time tonight. I'm so grateful for this uh, study in your word. I love this book. And I love how you have, um, you, you've just so carefully laid out the Bible. And this book, Lord, to these believers in this little town and um, their very basic beginning, you take an interest in them and you give them this letter. And God, they they have an opportunity. We don't know the end of this church, obviously, but they have the opportunity to do some amazing things. And Paul's talking to them about the importance of being rooted and established in the faith so that they're not taken captive. And Lord, may that be our prayer tonight, that we would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, being filled with the knowledge of your will. God, may we surrender to it. Help us to be aware that Satan's attack can come from anywhere, at any time, by any means, and any man. And Lord, our ignorance is our downfall. May we not be ignorant of his devices. When we see things that come by way of lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life, help us to remember, oh, that wisdom is from below and not from above. Help us to remember that that includes partiality and hypocrisy. Rather, Lord, help us to seek your wisdom and wait at your gates daily. Help us to take your word, hide it in our heart that we might not sin against thee. Thank you again for these that are here. Pray that you'd bless your word on our heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Anybody have any questions about that? Anything? Did I miss a blank? Anybody miss a blank? All right. Good. Very good. Thanks for being here. Hopefully we'll see you Sunday morning at 9.30 Sunday School, adult Bible study, and a 10.30 service. You're dismissed.